praise the Lord. That, oh, y'all missed a wonderful opportunity. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. What a blessing. Thank you, choir. You know, there's nothing worse than a choir that sits up there and says, when we all get to heaven, looking like they just bit a sour apple. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Right. Nothing worse. Nothing worse. And so I'm glad your choir did not do that today. In fact, uh, they did an excellent job. And thank you so much for leading us there. I'm up here fooling with, oh, there we go. We have a sermon after all. I'm fooling with these electronics. You know how that goes. Let me tell you, I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. I think I, the, of all the churches that I get to visit Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, this is the one that I love visiting the most. And so you guys are awesome. Thank you so much for all that you do in our association and in our community. And I want to tell you, you got the best pastor. I'll tell you why I know. There you go. Yeah. You can pay me later. Um, now here, here's the thing. Let me tell you something about this young man right here. He is my pastor. And I can't say that about anybody else. He's my pastor. And you know when the pastor's pastor needs a pastor, or the counselor's or the or the, the client's uh, counselor needs a counselor, you know who he goes to? That guy right there. And I'm gonna tell you why. Because he loves the Lord. It's just that simple. He's not perfect. He's not even pretty. <laughs> I'm kidding about that. A very handsome young man. I, when I grow up, I want to be just like Justin. Let's just say that. Uh, at any rate, uh, thank you for being here this morning. I hope you've had a good week so far. And, uh, you know, last week we celebrated Easter. And what a blessing that was. I absolutely love Easter. Because that's such a great celebration for us as Christians. You know, when we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as when you get to see people you haven't seen and since Christmas. And, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's kind of like funerals and weddings. They're really good. Because if you go, you'll meet people you've never seen before. Um, at any rate, I'm glad to be with you today. And, and uh, let me see what time it is. First of all, 1130. I, was, I told Justin when I came in the door, you know, I'm, I'm a member at First Baptist. Uh, I love the church. It's a great church. But my son's a contemporary worship pastor there. So we're, we're very, very family-oriented. So that's why uh, we're anchored there. But I, we are without a pastor right now. And so we have an interim pastor. And I was telling Justin when I came to the door, uh, our interim pastor feels like that being interim pastor gives him license to preach 20 minutes over. Because he doesn't have to answer to anybody, right? So, but now what it does is it does make me a little bit late. Uh, Justin was sweating bullets when I walked in about eight minutes. Not really. He could preach to a, a pig style and, and make an impact. It, I mean, that's just how good he is. So he always could stand up here and do that. But anyway, so if I go over a little bit, forgive me. And I'll just consider it my um, taking uh, license that since I'm the guest speaker and I don't have to answer to anybody, <laughs> that I can just preach on. So anyway, it's good to see all of you. You know, it's, it's, in, in our ministry, we have moved around a lot. And we moved to Blairsville about four years ago. And what a blessing that was. Oh, my goodness. 
we feel like we have died and gone to heaven. We went back to uh, uh, Dublin last week. That's my hometown, Dublin, Georgia. Uh, it's the fastest growing city in Georgia. It's Dublin every day. Um, <laughs> thought I'd throw that in there. Um, and uh, it's also uh, an eight-hour drive round trip. Four hours there, four hours back. And so we got a call last, uh, oh, it was last Easter Sunday night that a member of my congregation there had passed away and they wanted me to preach the funeral. So we went after work on Tuesday, left Blairsville about 8.30 Tuesday night, got to Dublin about 1.30 uh, Wednesday morning, found us a hotel, went to bed, got up, preached the funeral, turned around and drove back. And, I, and all it did was remind me that God has put me in the middle of heaven on earth. And that being Blairsville, Georgia. Because we absolutely love it here. And uh, so, but about four years ago, we made that move. So over our ministry, we've moved several times. If I told you how many times, it might frighten you. I know I've lived in nine different houses uh, over our married life. And that's, that's a lot of moving. But you know, 21 years ago, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story. 21 years ago, we made a move from a place called Warner Robins, Georgia. Anybody ever heard of Warner Robins? Yeah, the Air Force Base. We made a move from there to Gray, Georgia. Anybody ever heard of Gray? I didn't think so. It's, uh, yeah, there's, uh, okay, there's one or two. Are, are y'all, anybody here from Gray? Good. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, Gray, Gray was a spot on the map, a uh, greasy spot at that, but um, not really. We uh, enjoyed it there. Very, very, very small town. And so what I was doing was I had taken a new job. Uh, a lot of you don't know a lot about me, but I spent over 15 years in the banking industry. I was a mortgage loan officer, and, and I financed cars and all kinds of stuff, goats and cows and an airplane here and there and all kinds of stuff like that. But we moved to uh, Gray, Georgia, and I was hired to be the city president of Magnolia State Bank there in Gray, Georgia. Now that a dollar gets you a cup of coffee to be the city president. But I enjoyed my banking time. But while we were there, we had just moved from a, a smaller house. And because I was city president, we could afford a little bit nicer house. So we found a little bit nicer house. And this particular day, uh, they were putting a pool in our backyard. And uh, the pool in our backyard was really, really nice. We made sure when we, when we filled it up to make sure and not, you know, this is dangerous. And don't fill it up at least, you've you got to leave a gap of 12 inches between the water level and the top. Because when Al gets in, it rises. Okay. So we, that, we made, the, made sure that we, <laughs> y'all will catch it on the way home. Um, anyway, we didn't fill it up twice. Never mind. We were having a pool bill. That's the important part. And so I went on to work to the bank. And uh, while I was there, I got there about a quarter till nine. You know, we opened up at nine o'clock. And I walked in the door. And about that time, my wife called me and she said, do you have the TV on? Well, no. I'm at the bank. I don't watch TV when I'm at the bank. I work. Uh, now we watch TV because she works with me. Um, but anyway, we went to work that morning. She said, well, you need to go back and see the TV and see what's happening. So I walked back in the kitchen, and I turned on the TV, and I saw something that, to my horror, was going on. Now, you'll know it as 9-11. Uh, that was 21 years ago. 
And that morning, I grabbed the TV when I realized what was going on, and I took it out in the lobby because I knew that that particular day was going to be a conversation all day long about what was going on there. I saw the second plane actually hit the towers. You may have seen that as well. And uh, how frightening that was and how upsetting that was. And all day long, when I was not waiting on a customer in my office, I was outside in the lobby watching the TV news. And for days, when that went on, and you know as well as I do, what did you talk about on September the 11th of that year, and September 12th of that year, and September 13th of that year. And we went on and on and on for days where that was the topic of conversation. And nobody ever paid any attention to anything but that. Every customer that came to my office that day, uh, we talked about 9-11. Every phone call that I made back to our home office, we talked about 9-11. It was just the story of the day. Well, I want to take you to Bible times for just a minute and show you something else that made that big of an impact. Now, we know last Sunday was Easter Sunday, and of course we celebrated the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but I want to take you to a story that has just fascinated me always. And so if you will, go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, and let's start reading at verse 13. And it says this, I'll give you a minute to get there. Luke 24, 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, let's stop just a minute. What very day was it? It was the day that Christ rose from the dead. He rose that morning. The women went to the tomb to find him. He rose from the dead. So that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? Now, stop for just a minute. Let's just say somebody walked into New York City on 9-11 and said, What's everybody talking about? Can you believe that? that? That there would be somebody like that that was not aware of what was going on? Somebody, uh, we did have people that morning walk into the bank and, and say, what in the world is the TV doing out here? Or, or what, why is everybody gathered around this TV? Why are we watching this? What's, what's going on? Because they didn't know. But once they found out, that became the topic of conversation all day long. So it would be very unusual at, say, 3 o'clock on that afternoon of September the 11th for somebody to walk in and say, what are y'all talking about? But by then, it was common knowledge. Well, here was a man that walked up to these disciples and he said, what are you talking about? Now, do you think Jesus didn't know? <laughs> of course he did. He's the one that walked out of the tomb. He's the one that rose from the dead. Of course he knew. But he asked them that question for a reason. Now, in looking at this particular scripture, one thing that I want you to do is see several things. Number one, I want you to take a look at their broken hearts. 
This is all going to be about their hearts because, you know, I'm kind of in the heart business. The counseling that we do is, is Christian counseling. We do a lot of marriage and family counseling. We do a lot of premarital counseling. We do a lot of counseling for depression and grief and anxiety and stress and, and a little bit of everything. And I'm not up here to make a, a commercial or anything like that. I'm simply trying to tell you that in my work, what we do is we deal with the heart. And so many times what we deal with is the broken heart. Well, these folks had broken hearts. Back on 9-11, there were plenty of people who had broken hearts. They had broken hearts for all those families who were thinking. I remember I had nobody. Well, I take that back. I did have two friends that worked in New York at the time, and they worked on Wall Street and right across the street from all of that. So I was concerned for their welfare. I know their parents very well. Uh, they were in their early 20s when that happened, and I was concerned about them. But my main concern was about all those, those families that were affected, like over 3,000 people killed in that particular incident, in that terrorist uh, event. And I sat in front of the TV, really not knowing those people, and noticed that I was crying. That's how badly it affected me to see that our country was under attack, to see that our world was changed forever. It really was. Of course, now that we're 21 years later, we wonder, did some, do we even remember that anymore? I hope that we do because it does make a change. But the truth is this. Our hearts were broken that day. And these folks' hearts were broken that day. That's all they could talk about. And when Jesus came up, apparently a stranger, they didn't recognize him because why? He kept them from recognizing them, which we're probably going to talk about that in just a minute. But the thing is, they were standing there with broken hearts. Have you ever had your heart broken? I have. My dad died when he was 57 years old. That was almost 40 years ago. And I'll never forget the morning that happened. I won't go into detail, but his heart burst in ICU that morning. My mom had Alzheimer's disease. She was diagnosed when she was 54 years old. My heart was broken when I saw what was happening to her. When she was 59, she went to the nursing home. And I could tell you all kinds of stories about that, but my heart was literally broken. My dad's heart was broken. You know this thing where they say that when, when we get married that the two shall become one? I believe that with everything within me, and I'm going to tell you why. Because the day my dad had to put my mom in a nursing home when she was 59 and he was 57, he walked away with a broken heart, and in six months he died. I know what it feels like to have a broken heart. My father-in-law died on a Wednesday we buried him on a Friday, and Friday night my house burned down. I know what it's like to have a broken heart. You know what it's like to have a broken heart. These people had broken hearts. They had put all of their energy, all of their uh, vision, all of their future in the hands of Jesus, and all of a sudden he was dead. Now, they heard he had risen, 
But did they believe it right away? I don't know if they believed it right away or not. Apparently, they didn't. Certainly, Thomas did not. And so there are all these people here with these broken hearts. Now, what does Jesus say about the brokenhearted? You may be in here this morning before I read these scriptures and say, I'm sitting here today, Al, with a broken heart. I was telling you about going to Dublin last week. Um, let me tell you this before I read these scriptures. The, the family that I was dealing with, this guy was 77 years old. You know, that, that's not a spring chicken. Um, but at the same time, I don't consider it old either. Especially now that I'm getting really closer to that mark. I'm 64. The only thing I'm looking forward to is when I turn 65 because I get Medicare. Now the clock can stop at that point. <laughs> we'll be fine with me. But anyway, this family, he was 77, but she was on her, only in her late 50s. He robbed the cradle, so to speak. But she had had a car accident several years ago. And in this car accident, she received brain damage from that. And so he had kind of taken her under his wing and nursed her back to health, literally, over all these years. In that brain damage, in that vehicle accident, she uh, obtained some kind of, and, and not being a doctor or a medical person, I don't really understand all this, but I do know that um, in, the, in the vehicle she sustained such damage that it causes her, if she ever starts laughing, she can't stop laughing. She just laughs and laughs and laughs and laughs and laughs. Now that's why I loved having her in my congregation. Because if I ever told a joke, she'd get it and she'd get it all the way through the end of the service. She'd laugh the whole time. But the flip side of that is this. If you ever start crying, you can't control your emotion there either. And so last week, Lisa sat there on the front pew of that funeral home chapel, and she cried, and she cried, and she cried. Her heart was broken. So what does God say about broken hearts? He says this. Just jot the references down. Don't take time to turn. I'm going to read them to you, okay? Psalm chapter 34 and verse 18. Psalm 34, 18. I love this. It says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. <clears throat> Psalm 147.3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Psalm 73.26. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And here's my absolute favorite. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 20 says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Now you think about that. What is a bruised reed? You know what a reed is? If you go out by some water, you'll see these things kind of growing up, and, and, and they're flimsy at best. And, and they kind of tend to lean a little bit sometimes, but that reed is bruised. The picture of this is that where this reed is bruised, Jesus comes along and he takes that heartache and he heals it or he moves it out of the way or he ministers through it and he stands that reed right back up straight as it can be. 
A bruised reed he will not break. Now you and I might come along and just take where that reed is laying over and bruised and all that stuff and just snatch it out of there, throw it on a trash heap somewhere and burn it up. He doesn't do that. But here's the best one. You ever seen a candle that's just kind of flickering and about to go out? What we would do is go ahead and put the thing, put that snuffer over the top. That, that was always fun. Gave me a sense of power. <laughs> put that candle out. But that's not what Jesus does. What he does is he takes his hands and he wraps it around that candle that's flickering and about to burn out. And he blows on it with the breath of life. And he brings it back from a despondent condition where it was flickering and about to be snuffed out and about to not give any more light and all those kind of things. And with his wonderful Savior's breath, he brings that candle back to life. A bruised reed he will not uh, break and a smoldering whip he will not snuff out. Let me tell you something. When I was standing there in the ruins of my home, we had just buried my father-in-law earlier that same day. It was midnight. It was pouring down rain. Most horrible thing I've ever been through in my life. And I said, God, I don't know if I can make it through this. Help me! He put his hands around my flippery plane. And he blew. And he helped me get through that. Now, there are a lot of you in here who have had broken hearts in the past. I pray that you, that you recognize that the way you got through that issue was the very hands of Jesus being wrapped around you and bringing you back to life. These guys, though, they not only had broken hearts, they had searching hearts. I love this part. There's something precious to me in the picture of Christ walking with us in our darkest hour. And we desire an answer. But you know what? His desire is that we have the answer. And what is the answer? The answer is himself. Listen to the scripture. Let's go back. <clears throat> Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see, and he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. How quickly do we, in the middle of our trauma, in the middle of our brokenness, in the middle of what God wants to do in our lives, how many of us forget or don't recognize Jesus? Now, these particular disciples were kept from seeing Jesus on purpose. 
The scripture says that Jesus kept them from recognizing him. Now, I wonder what would have happened if Jesus had strolled on the streets of New York on November uh, or September the 11th of 20, uh, whenever that was, 2001. November, uh, September the 11th, 2001. If Jesus had walked in, would anybody have recognized him as Jesus? I kind of doubt. I really doubt. You know, we forget these things. And, and all this, back in the day, you know, we had, we had bumper stickers and we had windows uh, stickers and we had all these things all around us. We will never forget. But guess what? We've forgotten. Maybe we need to pray down another tragedy on our country. Do you know the churches at that point in time were absolutely full People were falling on their knees before God because we remembered who was really in charge of everything. And here we are, and things have died down, and, and they've gone by, and, and you may not have experienced a life trauma, and all of a sudden, you're forgetting about Christ and the answer that he can bring to you. Let me say something. Every day, without fail, there's somebody that walks into my life that is completely, or my office, that is completely despondent and forgotten about Jesus. Some of the hearts, some of the situations that I see would break your heart. Why in the world would a 14-year-old need to attempt suicide? Why in the world, and I could go on and on and on and on with tragedy and trauma that comes into people's lives. How many people I have dealt with that experienced COVID? I'm going to mention this person because you probably know him, and I, I know it would be fine with her. Her husband, and I can't remember her name right off the top of my head, but her husband was the band director in Murphy, North Carolina, and passed away from COVID. The heartbreak, the heartache. What do you tell somebody when they walk into your office and they say, I've lost it all. I have no hope. I have nothing anymore. And you remind them, of Jesus. Because when we're heartbroken, we're also searching for an answer. Well, what is the answer? Well, let's go back to the scripture. That scripture continues. It says, let me back up just a minute. He says, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He needed to remind them of where God had been involved in their lives. And he said to them, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at ta the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Did they recognize you yet? I don't think so. He was there breaking bread with them. That's something you do with your with your closest friends. 
There's nothing I would rather do than go to lunch with Justin Jarrett. I'll tell you why. Because there's not another person on the face of the earth that eats more than I do than Justin Jarrett. And it makes me feel comfortable and not guilty. And ha, I'm not a sinner after all. Not really. Not really. I, I, I haven't found my match yet, Justin. Not even you, my friend. You break bread with the closest of your friends. Jesus went all the way back and says to Moses, you know how many hundreds of years that covered? I love to find somebody that likes history, but I'll be honest with you, I can't take them about 15 minutes of it. <laughs> somebody tells me all these old stories, and it goes on and on and on. Praise God. <laughs> At any rate, he went all the way back to Moses, and he told them all of the wonderful things that God had had brought to his chosen people, Israel. And then I want to show you this scripture too. Go ahead and turn over there. It's Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. And I believe this applied in that particular situation, in that particular story of them not recognizing Jesus. They knew that there was something different about this man, even though they had not recognized him yet. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this. He... Meaning, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So here walks in this guy. He wants to interject himself into the conversation. And he does. And he says, what's going on? And they tell him. And then he starts going back to Moses and telling them. And somewhere in that transaction, they picked up on the fact that there was something different about this man. And then all of a sudden, show you, not only did they have broken hearts and searching hearts, but they had burning hearts. The scripture says, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Can you imagine talking with someone in depth and then having your eyes open and you realize, hmm, that person was dead. Now, if I had done that, there's an old saying from my redneck buddies back at Mercy University that said, I would have got some yonder. Me too. If I realized that the person I was talking to had been dead and now was risen from the grave and was sitting there alive, walking and talking with me and alive, I would have been afraid. I would have been uh, shocked into reality. And then all of a sudden, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that my heart would have been burning. Have you ever been in a service, a worship service, when your heart just starts burning? And I'm not talking about from all that pizza and spaghetti. Good. I'm talking about the very person of Jesus moving in your heart and in your life. There have been a few times like that for me. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was sitting down here during your worship 
My heart started broken. Praise God that we can lift our voices and, and we can uh, play a piano so beautifully. I love your piano. God bless you. Thank you for sharing that gift. And your voices. I had no clue that James could sing. I was as shocked as Cleopas was. <laughs> what a beautiful time. My heart was burning within me. I went to something called D-Now the other day. I sat there on Friday night and watched those kids worship. And my heart was burning within me. Last Easter, I was in both services at First Baptist. I get there at 8 o'clock every Sunday morning without fail and go to my church first. And then after they finish, assuming they finish on time and I can get to the next church on time, then I go to one of our associational churches and worship with them. But last week I was at First Baptist because my entire family was there, all three of my children, all three of their spouses, all five of my grandchildren. My wife even came. Not good. She's always there. Um, <laughs> My heart was burning within me. It was Easter. We were celebrating the risen Christ. Their hearts were burning within them. So what do we do when our hearts burn within us? We realize that Jesus is actually here, right? He's here in our darkest hour. He's here in our sickest moment. He's, in, he's here in our depression. He's here in our frustration and anger. He is here when we doubt. He is here when we don't understand. He is here when we don't realize our purpose. And he is here when we don't feel loved. Have you ever fit any of those things? I heard a man this morning. He was preaching back at First Baptist. And he made this statement. My daddy told me that he cannot remember one single time that his father ever told him that he loved him. And I said, well, you know, I can't tell you the time that my dad ever told me that he loved me. He just didn't do that. Now, one time in my life, he hugged me. That was when I was ordained as a minister. One and only time that I know that my dad hugged me. And never did he tell me that he loved me. Let me tell you something. When you're at that point, Jesus is still there. He is there for you. Lastly, I want to show you their surrendered hearts. They rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Their eyes were open, and they were sitting there with Jesus, and immediately, by the way, he disappeared. Their hearts, all of a sudden, after being broken, after searching, after burning, their hearts were surrendered. They believed that Jesus was the Christ. They believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. Now, something I noticed in last week's uh, scripture, uh, which was dealing with the resurrection of Christ, uh, it went through a whole litany of things in the scripture. And then it said at the end of it, do you believe? So when we come to the point this morning where we have broken hearts and searching hearts and burning hearts, my question to you is this, do you believe? 
Are you willing to surrender your heart to Christ? When you have a true encounter with Jesus, there's some things in your life that will change. If you say you've had an encounter with Jesus, but your life hasn't changed, there may be an issue. I'm not here to tell you that you're not saved. I'm not here to tell you anything like that because that's not up to me. That's up to you and the Lord. But there are some things that will change. Your lifestyle will change. Your opinions will change. Your understanding will change. Your friends will change. Your business practices will change. Your trauma will change. And your eternity will change. Let me tell you something that, that I'm in the process of right now. And I'm seeing people heal from this, not, not because it's me, but certainly not. I, I don't do any healing, but I know the person who does. And when it comes to emotional trauma, and some of these things have, why in the world would somebody try to rape this issue? I'm telling you, some of this stuff is so, so heavy. What do you do with that six-year-old when they grow up to be 35 or 40 years old? How do you deal with something like that? Well, there's something that's called, that I've just stumbled across recently, that I'm studying and training right now, that's called the Emmanuel Approach to Trauma. And it's pretty simple. You know what the word Emmanuel means, right? Say it for me. God with us. The Emmanuel Approach. So what I'm being trained to do is to take an individual and take one of their greatest spiritual experiences, close their eyes and to remember how great that spiritual experience was. And how you can sit there and actually visualize everything that's going on in that process. You can even get to a point where you remember the music that was being played, or you remember who was there, or you remember smells and sights and things like that. And all of a sudden, what I'm trained to do then is to take you and recognize the fact that Jesus is there with you. Emmanuel. But then after you do that, you take that person who has been through severe trauma, and with as much love as you can muster, and as much empathy as you can gather, you take that person back to a trauma in their lives. And they're able to remember the sight, what they, what they heard, what somebody said to them or what somebody did to them. And that trauma is relived. And all of a sudden you take that person to a point where they recognize the fact that because of Scripture and what it says to us is that in the deepest trauma that we have, God is with us. Here he said, Jesus is with us. And he'll heal us. 
I don't care to discuss with you all the trauma I've been through, but I can tell you that there have been traumas standing, standing in the middle of, of my home, which was my family home, and it burned to the ground, and every videotape and every picture of my children had burned up, and every my truck had exploded, and every wedding gift we had gotten five years earlier was gone, and all of the things that I remembered my dad with were gone, and all the things we remember her dad with were gone, all the pictures of him and our children, and I stood there saying, God, where are you? And I knew that I knew that I knew that he was there. Now, I'll tell you how I knew. It wasn't because I had learned all about the manual approaches. It's because when we drove up to our house that morning and we saw our house on fire and smoke billowing into the clouds and the fire department, they're pumping water out of the pond to put it out because it's out in the middle of the country. I knew God was with me because when we drove up, there were 300 of our congregations set out there waiting. I don't care what kind of trauma you've experienced, I can tell you this. God is with you. I hope you've experienced that. I hope you can walk out of here today and say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and there is no shadow of any doubt. I hope that you realize that you can say today, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he's living. I don't care what men may say. He lives within my heart. If you can't say that, that's the worst trauma you'll ever have. Very quickly, the scripture says the wages will be burned and preserved because we're sinners and we all are is death. And that's separation from God and that's hell. But the gift, you haven't earned it or deserved it. Somebody gives it to you because they love you, of who God, because he loves you, is what? Eternal life. And death is separation from God, that means hell. And life, praise God, is being with God forever, and that means heaven. And the verse says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. How do we get that gift of eternal life? Through Jesus Christ, before you. He's standing there. He wants to give you eternal life. It only becomes yours when you take it. He can stand there and put it in your face all day long, but until you reach out and receive it for yourself, for your own, and say, it's mine, it won't be yours until you do that. We have church members all over the face of the earth that are going to split hell by open. What do you mean? I was in church every time the doors were open. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by being in church every time the doors are open. But by me. Simple relationship with Jesus. Would you bow Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we can come and that we can put our hearts and our lives before you. And God, that our prayer would be, search me, O oh God. Search me, O oh God, and know my, my ways and my thoughts. Know my heart today. 
Father, would you search me from head to toe? Every intention, every motivation, every fear, every doubt, every trauma, every anxious feeling or thought. And as I lay it before you, God, would you heal it? Well, I think this message may do more for me than anybody else. Thank you that these sweet people shared this with me. And I pray, God, that if there's any trauma in their life today, that you would help them to know that they can bring it to you. That you're right there beside them. Your very name means God with us. Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit be so heavy on hearts this morning. Or that you would draw them to you. In the name of Jesus, that we pray. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't stand your feet. Brother Justin is going to be here at the front to receive you. You need to pray with him about anything. Let me throw this out, especially if you don't know that you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Would you let him pray with you? Maybe there's a trauma, a doubt, a fear that you want to share with him. And if you don't want to share it with anybody, let me tell you something else. This altar is open for you. You can share it with the Savior of the world. Brother, come and lead us in worship through an invitation.